The reason why I call my company the North Star Organization is because I feel really strongly that people need to, before they spend a lot of energy in being upset or frustrated and, and deciding to, you know, hand in their papers and all this stuff, I think there needs to be some introspection and some thought about what it is they really want. Who are they and what they want? Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work, while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. Hi. I'm Michael Wenderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. Often the best way to advance at work is to quit and take a job somewhere else. In fact, evidence suggests changing companies is the top way that many women and people of color advance their careers. Shocking stats to consider. An average of 3.6 million Americans quit their jobs every month. More stark news. 40% of women and people of color are thinking of quitting right now, says my guest today, a rate higher than their peers in the office. Why are they leaving? Or why aren't they staying? Does that matter? And what do we do about it? And with the great resignation behind us, many organizations have shifted their focus away from employee turnover. Are they introducing risk to their business performance by doing so? My guest today, Alicia Gill, helps talent, organizations, and leaders address these topics head-on. Alicia is founder and CEO of the North Star Organization. Her career has spanned two decades at the intersection of the workforce, business, and analytics. She's a very unique leader. Her path started with a BA in economics at Columbia University and a master's in economic policy at Princeton. This was followed by finance and consulting at IBM and then HR transformation as the first chief people officer in the New York City government, as well as then moving on, becoming chief people officer at an innovative Inc. 5000 company that won numerous employee awards under her watch. A pleasure to discuss the retention of top talent today with Alicia. Alicia, welcome to 97% Effective. Wow, love it. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Alicia, how does an economist, a Latin America economist, end up as a chief people officer? That is not your typical path. It is not. I hold it as a badge of honor. I will say the through line between all of this is that I've always been an extremely curious person an extremely analytical person. And so I pursued economics because... At its core, I became very interested in why certain countries were poor and why certain countries were not, 
I, I really fundamentally wanted to understand that. And I spent time overseas and I studied, you know, the all the mathematical techniques you need to, to figure out how to do that. But to me, that was just endlessly interesting. As my career progressed and I, I spent some time in IBM, I started to find different ways to apply that curiosity. So you talk about the intersection between, you know, business and analytics. I worked as a consultant for a while and the projects that I worked on, which were about business performance, because ultimately I'm a business person, were about business issues. But really, how do you use human capital to achieve your human capital goals, right? If you don't get the people part right, you're nowhere or you're nowhere sustainably. Maybe you can be somewhere in the short term, but it's not a sustainable situation. So I became very interested in that. I became very interested in the role of the employee and the experience that they have. After all those years with IBM, I then decided, you know what, I'm a transformation person. I would love to bring transformation to the public sector. So I, I took a role in New York City government and I, you know, I said, well, I'm about change. We've got to make this thing happen. And one of the, the, the gaps I saw was that we didn't necessarily in New York City government have a consistent, consolidated way at the agency level to really think about human capital strategy and how it's executed. So I pushed for, and we got the first chief people officer role approved, and that was me. And now it's a thing, but at the time it wasn't a thing. And, and we had the opportunity to do some really exciting things. But after that sentence in public sector, I wanted to go back to private and I wanted to go smaller and I wanted to be in a really nimble, fast growing organization. And so that's what I did. And we did, you know, it was an enormous thrill to build out a really robust people function that was really critical to the performance of the overall business, making sure there was that really tight alignment between people and the impact that they were having on the company and the impact they were having on their careers. Because people give years of their career to an organization and they don't have to. So what can we do to make sure that they bring their best? So after having done that for Inc. 5000, I decided I only want to do transformation work. <laughs> so I put the chief people officer role behind and I launched the company that I now lead. And you have numerous awards that have come with that. But again, it is, as I said, a very unique and remarkably diverse backgrounds, giant companies, talk about the school of hard knocks, going to work for the New York City government. <laughs> You interact, obviously, and, and speak a lot in circles with HR executives, C-suite executives. How does that background, you think, show up in terms of how you think differently than others in the space? Well, I think I really take a, a business-first approach. At that, And I think increasingly the HR profession is, has moved in this direction, in addition to moving in a more data-driven direction. But I start there. And I think that when you're thinking about the variety of disciplines that are represented in the C-suite, the ability to really speak to the business, which is the one thing they all have in common, right? We want the, the ability to do that. And a lot of that comes from having been a consultant. You know, honestly speaking, that does help. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to really talk about the business and then say, let's understand that we've got to get this people part right. And I would say at the end of the day, all the people report to you, right? They all report to you. So the difference is going to be you. I'm out here trying to create the conditions and the investments and the tools, all the things to make you successful. And it also didn't hurt that, you know, from finance, I had a really good relationship with the CFO and I could talk about, 
this and not just a soft way. Sometimes people think you know, people or HR is very soft. I was able to really translate that into hard dollars as well. All of that makes sense, but I got to ask because it's something that a lot of people don't know, but you also were a professional singer at one point. How does that fit in there? Well, I must say I was an amateur singer. Okay. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun for me. It was curiosity. Mm. It was the desire to develop expertise in a thing, which I really love doing, which consultants get to do, right? And so I do that in my life in general. How can you be the best possible singer with the gifts that you have? And how can you influence, which is something I also love to do? How can you get the crowd on your side? How can you make people feel like they made a decision to get that babysitter and spend their money and just give you their time? Because they don't have to, again, they don't have to. Right. And so it was it was really fantastic to get that immediate feedback too. You don't often get that. You can get that in the workplace. So it was really nice. And then of course, who doesn't love good music? Indeed. Core issue, as I mentioned in the introduction, great resignation behind us. Why should we still be focused on employee turnover? Well, you know, it's interesting, you know. The desire for someone to say, I'm out, <laughs> you know, I'm leaving this organization can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing, right? So on the one hand, we were seeing, even before the great resignation, we were seeing quit rates rise in the United States. You know, they were steadily rising before uh, COVID, you know, hit us. And I think a lot of that was good in terms of it showed the dynamism, right? People were able, there were a lot of companies that were growing and people had the opportunity to use their skills in different ways. And there was less of a tax or a, a ding to a person who had a shorter tenure with a company. And there were more and more opportunities to apply your skills. And skills and tools were constantly changing. And there was an excitement about that. And so you could find different places to sort of apply your wares and learn. So that that's good. But on the other side of that, there are some people who quit because the employer isn't meeting their needs. You know, sometimes they're not meeting their needs and that's a, a legal issue, right? <laughs> so there's that. But then there's the the whole idea of, you know, what kind of employer are employer are you? What is your value proposition? And what it, what is it that you are doing or not doing that causes key talent to want to stay or not stay with you? Right, and there's a moral component to that too. Like you did share the data about women and about people of color who have a higher propensity to leave, they're more of a flight risk, and so much of that has to do with the fact that they don't feel that career advancement is possible. They don't see it happening. No one's talking to them about it. They feel that they've been brought in, and that's it. They're not necessarily set up to succeed. And they're watching other people do it. And sometimes there's not a lot of, you know, authenticity about what they were told and what actually happened. I remember increasingly when I was chief people officer, during the interview process with people, they would often bring up, oh, the fact that diversity is a value at this company really matters to me. It's one of the reasons why I want to work here. It really, really matters to, to people. But to bring people in and then not take in consideration what they uniquely bring because they have varied backgrounds, is really, in a way, a slap in the face and also a missed opportunity because all of the data tells us when you have diverse backgrounds and opinions in the room, you can make a better decision. And you certainly can sometimes avoid having egg on your face. But if you care about innovation and you care about creating an environment where people are excited to be there and feel like they're heard 
and can come up with that next best idea and feel that it could be actually implemented, that's that's the best possible situation. If you've got people who are feeling like that's not true for them, whole categories of people who feel that that's not good, that's not happening for them, and they leave, you know, that's a net negative to the business. I, I see that as a market failure, <laughs> actually. And it's very demoralizing. It's bad for the person as an individual, and it's also bad for business. And you'd think, particularly leaders, you know, if it's bad for business, they'd be paying attention to it. Is, is there something fundamentally they're getting wrong? Well, you know, it's funny. I think people think very in a rudimentary way. It's, you know, well, we hired a person to do the job, and they took it, so, you know, they're doing the job. If they don't want to stay, I don't know why they don't want to stay. We make these broad general statements, you know, I can't make anything stay. And there's this whole idea that there isn't anything a leader can do to actually influence that when that is very much not the case. It's really natural to lean into where you're strong, right? So if you're CIO, you want to focus on that technology, right? Your CFO, let's make sure the numbers are straight. Let's do the other stuff feels like it should just take care of it. People just believe it should just take care of itself. But you, in fact, have to be really intentional to create a great experience for people who decide to give you years of their career. They're coming here because they feel an allegiance or not to the mission, because they really want to demonstrate their skills and learn more skills and not be micromanaged as they do that. And they want to have a sense that what they do actually matters they've had an impact, that it matters for the company, but that it also matters to their career. Nobody wants to join a company and feel as if they have gone backwards or feel as if they're stagnant. And a lot of leaders don't own up or acknowledge or even know that that's part of their responsibility too. That's part of their responsibility. And I think a lot of companies that have recently scaled, who had originally been focused on, gosh, we got to continue to be a going concern, right? We have, to, we have to grow. We have to get clients. We have to do all the things. They scale. They have a bigger workforce. And they're not necessarily thinking about themselves as an employer. It's not enough to give people free pizza and go bowling and what, you know, that's not it. There are other things. How are you managing their performance? How are you thinking about their career, their career trajectory? How are you um, training them and helping them keep their skills up? How are you treating them with respect? And I think that in the pandemic era, I think we've learned that mental wellness is a thing. People have really strong opinions about hybrid and working in the office, but I don't think they're going a step deeper and understanding more fundamentally what is it going to take for me to not only attract, but to retain people? And retention is important from a stability point of view for the business, from a productivity point of view, from a morale point of view. And it's also very expensive to replace a person. And now you've replaced the person, you keep doing that. It affects the morale of the people who are behind, left behind. So all told, it could cost you 2x the salary of that person. So what have you done? <laughs> and then we're getting into the, the the qualitative issues around that, right? Now you've you people are observing people leaving and saying, well, why am I here, right? You know, I'm not being respected because that person left, and now I'm doing all their work. Or that person left, maybe I'm supposed to leave. <laughs> like what's going? Maybe they know something I don't know, right? 
And your reputation is, you know, a glass door review away. All you need is people to start saying, oh, you know, they don't care about you. They just work you. They just care about the bottom line. You know, still stuff like that that gets said, and which can be avoided if the company, the leadership actually stepped back and thought about what kind of employer do we want to be? What kind of company? Why should anyone work here? It's never been easier for people to say, you know, sayonara to a job than it is now, you know, and there's no real risk to anybody for doing it. Nobody looks down on you for doing it. That used to be the case years ago, <laughs> but that, that's not really true right now. So you have to earn the decision for people to work for you every single day. And even if you decide, ah, oh, it's not important, great resignation is over. Well, okay, but that doesn't mean your key clutch talent won't walk out the door. If they're valuable to you, why do you think they wouldn't be valuable to your competitors? So if you just sit on your laurels and just assume, well, they know they're doing a great job and you know I'm relying on them and they're just going to stay because we're amazing and we're nice to them and my spidey sense says they're not going anywhere, that's not really a, a sophisticated mature strategy for a business leader, right? We need to be a little bit more thoughtful than that and not treat people as this nice to have thing that we will address if and when a problem arises. We need to be a little bit more proactive on the people space and and much more thoughtful and really see the close and important tie between what you choose to do or not do in the people side and business results, sustainable business results. Let's go deeper on this because you have worked in this area at multiple levels and what you do at your current company is help companies and leaders think about what they need to do to set the culture, the systems to do that. So very much working with organizations. You also coach individuals You have this quote that I love, life is short, don't wait to make it happen, right? There's hard truths about where are you going in your career? And like we said at the beginning, you may be better off going elsewhere. So I'd love for us to be able to talk at those two levels and what you do there. Where's a good place to start? Should we start with the organization or should we start with the individual? Well, okay, let's let's talk about the individual. Okay. Okay. Putting it right out there, plenty of people, and and we're not even going to talk right now about women and people of color. I think it's, it's across the board are are frustrated at their advancement. What's the top reason? Yeah, well, I, I will say honestly, and this is you know, I've had a number of people, you know, untold people sitting in front of me saying the things I don't have this, and this isn't happening, and I'm frustrated. At the core, many people don't really have a clear idea of what advancement even means to them. They they haven't necessarily thought about where they want to go. I mean, it's very easy to say, I want a promotion. Okay, promotion to what? What what do you actually want to do? Or when you say that, do you mean you want to manage people? You want to lead people? Are you saying you want to be a highly paid individual contributor? Are you saying you want broader scope in your work? Are you simply saying you want to get paid more money? Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's it's career advancement as a term itself isn't super useful at the individual level, mm-hmm. right? So the reason why I call my company the North Star Organization is because I feel really strongly that people need to, before they 
spend a lot of energy in being upset or frustrated and, and deciding to, you know, hand in their papers and all this stuff. I think there needs to be some introspection and some thought about what it is they really want. Who are they and what they want? Saying I want to get ahead or I'm being held back or I'm not, I'm not getting what I deserve. I, we really need to be a little bit more specific because some of this can easily be addressed. Some of these things are you things that you can have conversations with your manager about and have resolved. But you didn't because you just said, I'm not progressing. Mm. <laughs> you know, I'm not advancing, right? So I think that there is internal work. So I, I find a lot of satisfaction in working with individuals and really getting them to focus on what matters to them, to really define with specificity what matters to them, because they could be spending a tremendous amount of time worrying about, complaining about, being sad about, being angry about things that don't actually matter for what they really want. So step one sounds like get clarity on things that you want. So someone out there is listening is, yeah, I've mastered of myself. And hey, I'm still not getting it. Mm -hmm. Someone who's frustrated, how should they be assessing, is this the right place for me? No, that, that's a very good question because I think once people have gotten clarity on what their North Stars are and what, where they really want to be, they can't keep that a secret, right? You can't be angry about not having a change happen that you didn't tell anybody you wanted, right? So I think a lot of this sits in people's heads and they assume people know mm -hmm. or they slightly alluded to it and then things aren't happening and they're very frustrated and they want to make bold decisions like quitting. I think that conversations need to be had. Now, it's true that not all managers are good at that, mm. right? So <laughs> some people are sitting out here saying, well, my manager should be telling. Well, just because you got promoted to management doesn't mean you're good at the soft skills and, mm -hmm. and having these conversations about performance and career. It's a totally different set of skills you need to have as a manager. But just because your manager is challenged in that way doesn't mean that you yourself shouldn't take the initiative to express the things that you're looking for, the things that cause you to join the company in the first place, and by extension, the things that you're going to require to, to stay there. Because once you've articulated that, now the person has to, they have to grapple with what they heard. You know, Now, if it's a company that's not responsive and they just listen to it and shrug their shoulders and say, well, that's not who we are. Then the employee, I, I used to say to employees in my office all the time, I used to say, you have to optimize for your own situation. Love it. You have to do that. And sometimes the employer can meet you there because sometimes the ask isn't huge from the employer's point of view. It's huge for you, but you can articulate it and say, I want more scope. They can say, I did not know that. We, we didn't even know that was a thing for you. And that's something that you could have. But you can't have it if you don't have a dialogue. If you have this dialogue, promises are made to you and they don't come to fruition, that's different. Mm -hmm. But I think you have to take that step. It's, you owe it to yourself to take that step before you do something as dramatic as quit. Because you really may be able to get what you want, even if it's not 100%, it could be the percentage of things that matter the most to you. Because frankly, you're never going to get everything you want in a job. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. 
So take that initiative and have the dialogue. But I got to ask here, there is a lot of evidence that having that frank discussion with your boss, particularly if you're kind of more junior, there's a power dynamic at work when Mm -hmm. you're asking for certain things. And when you speak up, maybe that's to advocate for yourself or be assertive, that's viewed that it's aggressive complaining and and there's a you know a double bind here that someone oh they're they're being overly aggressive when they're simply just advocating for themselves mm-hmm. how do you navigate that conversation so you're both assertive but you don't get the backlash that will send you into oblivion and kind of a career limiting move by having the discussion right no i i i get what you're saying we we are grown-ups so we need to be comfortable in expressing and, and, and really taking up space and having agency. No one can do that for us. We have to do that for us. But there's a way to do anything, right? So I think the easy way to start is to leverage the systems that are already in place to introduce these ideas. So if you're in a company that has a robust performance management system, it's very natural in a conversation about performance and how you're doing to then segue into... You know, I heard what you said. Um, I have a reaction to it, whatever, one way or the other. But assuming it's something positive, then that's an opportunity for you to say, hey, so let's talk about next steps. You know, obviously, you know, growth is something that I'm interested in. What does that look like here? I would like to share with you what I'd like to do, but there is business need as well. So let's figure out what a path could look like for me or what types of experiences you think would be important. I'll tell you some experience I like to have, right? So I think if you have a conversation like that, leveraging this performance management conversation that is part of how the company functions is a way to do it. And I I don't think that's a particularly aggressive way of doing it. I I think it shows leadership and, and professionalism and maturity to have a conversation like that. And then assess how they respond to you. Because again, optimize for your own situation. If it's a culture where if you express things like that and nothing happens or you get a promise and then nothing happens or something cursory happens, then that employer has told you who they are. And you need to act like they showed you that and then make a decision. Do you want to continue to try to flourish in that kind of environment? And maybe you can try other things. But some people might feel like, you know, look, I expressed what it was. I got nowhere. You know, I, you know, I can either try to move to another place where I might be more successful, where maybe there's another place in the company where I've seen people be more successful. You could things do things like ask for a mentor or ask for a sponsor. These are all reasonable asks, I think. And if you're in a company where you make these reasonable asks, assuming you do it in a professional manner, <laughs> um, then, you know, they're showing you whether or not they're a place that's amenable to that. And if they're not, you have to ask yourself, why do you want to work there? And then make the decision that's going to make the most sense for you. The tough questions we need to ask ourselves. And Alicia, you know, it's clear you have worked in multiple environments and you express how to have these conversations so well, you need to create the whole script list. So many people (laughs) have difficulty with... How do I show up and have that conversation? Sure, we're all adults, but it comes across as this, or the way I say it will be interpreted as that, or they they dial back the other way and they don't express themselves at all. So getting that middle ground right. 
you need to have a database of scripts here for for people. I think that would be incredibly <laughs> helpful. And and it strikes me as 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 you were saying that if we just have better conversations, real conversations, right? Link to here's performance objectives, here's things that matter to me, here's what the company wants. It feels like you don't really need DEI. Well, that would be great if we didn't have this thing called unconscious bias. Mm. (laughs) So the thing is, you know, people tend to promote, their networks tend to be homogenous. True. They have this bias to promoting people who look like them, remind them of themselves. No, I read something recently where they were talking about the fact that being at home, being remote, actually um, made women feel like it was more of a level playing field than when they were in the office. Because when you're in the office, you know, you got a guy, he sees Joe who's new and say, hey, Joe, come to my office. Let's talk about such and such. Well, maybe this person never asked Jane to do that, you know, <laughs> and maybe they talk about their kids. Maybe they talk about sports. But you, you know, business happens in there. You know, you know opinions about somebody's readiness and you kind of see this behavior and it's, it's not, it's not fair and it's not even necessarily malintent, but it happens. So we we can't act like in a world where racism is a thing and, you know, gender bias is that we, then we have to say, if we want things to be equitable, then we need to make sure that we are doing the things that are required for certain populations for them to be able to show up and do their best just like everybody else. And it's not favoritism. It's not necessarily this notion of equality. Why should women have this program and men don't have this program? It's because women, in order to be successful in certain scenarios, require different things. If you historically haven't had a lot of women in leadership, you shouldn't expect that junior women are going to think that if they do the same things as their male counterparts, that they have a, the same fighting chance to rise to leadership as well. Maybe you need to do more things to give them the skill set, the opportunities, the experiences that are going to help motivate them. I'll tell you, when I was in college, my intent was to not be an economist. My intent was actually to be a civil en- uh, a civil engineer. Mm. But back in the day, you know, I was the only woman there. I was the only person of color there. And, you know, it was a little bit of bro culture. <laughs> bro culture. And they socially were together. But in these social circles, they were studying together and they were doing all these things. And I wasn't part of it. And I just said, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm not wanted here. Nobody said that to me. Right. But it was not an environment where I felt comfortable. And it's why, you know, the numbers of people of color and women in STEM was historically very low. That 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 played into it, too. And it's true in the workplace. These are subtle things, but we have to act like it's true. We're surveying women and people of color and they are saying, I do not feel included here. I do not feel like I belong. I do not feel like I'm wanted. I feel like I'm tolerated. I don't see the types of moves happening for me that I see for others. I keep being told, yes, 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 you'll move, but you have to do this one other thing. And then you have to do this other thing. And somehow you're the only one doing all these other things. (laughs) And you kind of say, well, maybe this doesn't make sense. Maybe your company has never even said anything about DE&I. So then in a world where a lot of people are, that's quite a... that's a statement in and of itself. <laughs> you know what I mean? If the company has not explicitly said, we're going to do the things that's going to take to make you be just as successful as everybody else, then you need to act like that's true 
and optimize for your own situation. And sometimes you can make that happen and be a force for change in your organization, but you have to ask yourself, do you want to be doing that? Some people are exhausted with doing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it just makes sense instead of, and this would be part of my coaching, right? You know, I would say, well, you, you know, you're getting high blood pressure and taking medication and doing therapy around the treatment that you're experiencing. You have to ask yourself, why are you subjecting yourself to this? The employer has told you who they are. What do you want to do in the face of that? Why do you continue to bang your head? My question is, why are you banging your head against the wall? So I'm saying two things. I'm saying, don't bang your head against the wall if you've done all that you can do and the employer hasn't stepped up. But also, don't bang your head against the wall if there are things you want that you never told anyone about. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Thank you for sharing the story. I didn't know that about you and and how you chose to go more into economics than civil engineering. And for very much pointing out where unconscious bias shows up in organizations. I I don't know if you recall, I think it used to be called the Cleveland test. It was this thing of when you hired someone of, could you, if you had to, if you were snowed in on a transfer on your plane in Cleveland, would this be a person you wanted to hang out with? And it was used for a long time as the, is there a cultural fit? In retrospect, it's a terrible question because- you initially, if you just meet someone, you tend to want someone who's like you, right? Well, then you just hire someone who's exactly like you. And that's actually a, a terrible way, right? If you're trying to build a organization that's bringing in different viewpoints. So you took me back to that. And, and again, I think about all of these ways that we've looked at policies, whether those are hiring or promotions and, and have kind of re-questioned them or made things much better in terms of how we're we're looking at that. Right. And I, no, I like that because I encourage companies to not even, I I don't like this word fit because it allows you to add all the negative things to it inadvertently, right? It's how can this person be additive to the team? Mm. Mm. We want to have all different types of people on this team and not just fit, meaning you're the same as everybody else. We already know what everybody else thinks. They're all here. <laughs> we need to have a different perspective from a, a generational perspective, a regional perspective, you know, for national companies, a global perspective for global companies. We need to have all of these people in the room. And sometimes leaders get really focused on how they grew up yeah. through the ranks, and they think that's the best way to do it. Well, there were a lot of bad things about how people came up through the ranks in the past. And sometimes we got innovation and all these things in spite of it. But now we have an opportunity to 10x Mm. the growth and 10x the innovation. And we are actively choosing not to do that if we don't take proactive action and think more broadly about what it takes to improve performance and to create an environment where people can do their best and want to do their best. Let's talk about that, about what organizations can do. This is your wheelhouse. With the last several years where you were chief people officer at Empirics Health, right, the Inc. 5000, one of the fastest growing companies, named in numerous places as best places to work. So maybe a place to start is like, what did you guys do there? And what was the key to achieving financially successful, but also, you know, great place to work? Yeah, well... Yeah, no. Look, you know, one of the things that I think is really important is for the the head of HR, whatever you call them, to have a really great relationship with the CEO. It was a true strategic partnership. 
where there was a lot of clarity and conversations between the two of us about the kind of company we wanted it to be. Because once we know that, then we can be in integrity around that and everything we do, the investments we, we make, the, the, you know, the way we treat people, all of that. So once we got clear about that and I, I became, my, my marching orders were, and I was committed to, as we built out the people function, to really center things around the employee experience. How do we want people to feel when they come here? You know, they don't have to come here and they certainly don't have to stay, right? So what what is the experience that we want them to have throughout the, the entire employee life cycle from the time they're a candidate to the time that they exit? Because, you know, it's not like everyone's going to retire from there. There will be an exit, right? So we want to make sure that we have really happy alums who look back on the experience and say, that was great. I was treated with respect. Because, you know, I say employee experience, but, you know, people do user-centered design. They know that person in the middle like swap out customer for employee, right? mm-hmm. you know, you have to have empathy for that person and respect for that person and care about that person. And once you've done that, then all the other decisions you do should be um, kind of no brainer. So for example, we said things like, um, and the CEO was really fantastic about this. He would say, you know, I want people to bring their best selves to work, you know, and I would say, well, God, how can we ensure they bring their best selves to work? How, how can we make that real? So what we did was we rolled out Clifton Strengths. Hmm. We rolled out Clifton Strengths because that is a, a tool. People know that as strength finders back in the day. Mm-hmm. But it was a way to understand your unique talents as a person, right? So we were making an investment in you as a person. Now, part of your personhood is how you show up as an employee, a contributor, a professional um, for the organization that you work for. And our our view was, if we invested in you as a holistic person, that's only going to let you know that, A, we care about you as a person, but also it's going to give you the opportunity to really have a way of expressing what your best self actually is, what is unique about yourself. And if we did that throughout the whole company, then now the company has a whole you know, a common vocabulary for talking about that. And then it becomes clearer what are the specific ways I need to coach this person? What are the specific ways that I this person will probably show up on this project, right? So for example, my top uh, strength is ideation. Well, I wasn't surprised by that because I will always have an idea. I'm always that person, right? So, But you also know about me that if I come in the middle of a, a multi-year project, if I show up in uh, you know year four, I'm going to say, well, how did we come to this decision? You know, my proclivity will be, well, did we think of everything? And, you know, I want to go there. And I know to tap it in because you don't use your strengths in every situation, but it is really great to have that awareness about yourself. And it's something that people really did call out to say, you made this investment in me. You gave me a coach to even take me through what it means. And if we get that part right, it's of course going to, to impact how they show up in their job. Because everyone wants to leverage their talents. And if you have an environment where people are open to hearing about it and there's a forum to hear about it and there are systems in place to hear about it and managers have that information and they can come together and do teaming in ways that are not generic but really tied to what people are uniquely bringing, oh my God, that's a superpower. And it really did a lot to change the culture there. It really helped us to, I think, differentiate ourselves. You know, the other thing was, you know, I really put a big focus on values and 
you know, if your values are real and not just posters on the wall, <laughs> then you should be talking about that. You should be um, showing specifically how you are living that. If you see people living that, you should be raising it up. So a, a specific thing we did, we changed our recognition program. The recognition is based on the people who are most living each value. That's what it was based on. The whole point of it was to to really focus on our core values because they were real. And one of the core values was diversity. And so that was a way that we were able to really link that DE&I thought to the broader idea of what the company was even about. Because we felt very strongly that those values were the values that were going to propulse the company forward and continue to have it grow in, in a way that was unified. I mean, so it's very much walking the talk and, and touch on the point that you were commenting on before. So, so sounds like there was a lot of coaching going on there, but also this heavy process of, of learning how to give feedback, how to receive feedback. It seems to be almost ingrained in the organization that, that you had brought well, in. It, it's hard, right? Yeah. Because we talked before about the fact that it's hard to have difficult conversations for people, right? So it's hard for managers to have the, the types of difficult conversations they need to have. And it's hard for employees to have difficult conversations about themselves or how they're treated. Like It's just hard, right? So I felt like for companies, and I, I feel very strongly that you really have to lean in because you have to do things at scale, right? So you, I think it's really important to lean into what's happening at the middle management level, at that layer, because everybody reports to those people. And those are the people who are have the, the best chance of getting intel around what's going on with their people if they take the time to do that. And they have a real opportunity to express what the company is all about and how they treat their people. So I developed leadership development programs for them. I did that at the city too, to really say, hey, you know, you know, half of the people, this is national data, Gallup data, like, you know, half of the people who've quit a company say, you know, in the past 90 days, my manager didn't talk to me about performance, my career, you know, half. And, you know, another half would say, um, you know, there's something my manager could have done to keep me. You know, so on the other hand, so on the one hand, you say, wow, that's a lot of pressure. But on the other hand, you say, what an opportunity, right? If, if you get that part right, you will have really highly motivated people working for you who want to stay, you know? So uh, I think that the middle management has a real opportunity to embody those values if they're articulated and, and really has an opportunity to create the connections between the employee and the company that I think are really critical for people to find meaning in their work, to constantly be reminded of why they chose to work in the company in the first place, you know? And sometimes that can be even more important than compensation, you know? So, you know, sometimes you'd hear people say, well, you know, Joe left. Well, you know, I just found out, you know, he got paid more. How much more? 5K. Okay. Depending on your salary level, maybe 5K is a big number. But in general, I would say <laughs> for uh, for professionals who've been around the block for a little while, 5K is not a big number, and it's not the reason they left. A sense of accomplishment and mission and impact and growth, all of those are things that can outweigh an additional 5K in a paycheck. So it's, there's probably something deeper going on. And let's not wait to do postmortems 
let's do proactive things so that we don't find ourselves in that situation in general, but certainly for your your top talent, your key talent, people sitting out there in critical roles and the people who are in diverse categories that you need. I'm fond of something you've said, which is to make the right things to do easy to do. And, And so I guess these are all examples, but is there anything else you want to just call out or add as we come here towards the end of our discussion? Yeah, I think let's not forget the power of the tool, Hmm. right? So for example, you know, one of the things we did because we were finding that, you know, some people have a challenge giving people difficult, you know, difficult feedback, right? But people deserve feedback. It's a respect issue. It shouldn't be a surprise how I'm doing, you know? If you're sitting there in the corner telling everybody that, you know, Joe is not amazing, does Joe know he's not amazing? Or are we now getting to the point where we just can't take it anymore and Joe is so bad, let's fire Joe? Well, what does Joe think, right? (laughs) Right. So so I would always ask that question. But one of the things that was easy to implement, you just say, hey, look, why don't we have a document that clearly lays out, you know, what, what Joe's meant to do? What are the standards for the job? Because now I've now given this timid manager a piece of paper with the things that the employee also has, and we're both looking at the same piece of paper, and this timid employee can go point by point and say how the person is doing relative to each thing. Now, they might say it in a sheepish, shy way. They may whisper, but at least the employee will have heard how they're doing, right? And so this didn't require a lot of effort for me as a chief people officer to get involved in all these conversations. It was an issue of, Let's just give them a a simple, humble tool that they could use to have the conversations that they want to have. So, you know, that made it easy, right? Make the right thing to do the easy thing to do. It doesn't always require purchasing this huge, complicated IT system. I I don't believe in that. I don't believe in going to the high-tech, expensive solution first so we can check the box and say we did it. I think the humble tool and the ongoing conversation is the way to go, at least first. And it makes people feel that you care about them as people because it's true, because you're, in, you're, you're interacting with them directly and people feel respected when that happens. Here, here to the simple but highly effective and vastly underutilized simple one-page tool, right? <laughs> But there's a lot of thinking and intentionality that goes behind the one-page tool. Alicia, it's been fantastic to have you on today. You have lived and breathed this at different organizations. For those out there who lead organizations, who are at that inflection point in their career, how do they learn more about what you do or how to engage you? Well, you know, so I'm... I'm not the biggest social media maven in the world, but you can follow me. My website is thenorthstarorg.com. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so you can look me up as Alicia Gill, or you can look my company up, North Star Organization, is on LinkedIn as well. Fantastic, Alicia. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources. 
including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwenderoth.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.